Well, as Billy Joel would say, I'm in a New York state of mind. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a special nickname episode of Championship or Bust. Stay tuned for the Hall of Fame section for an explanation on that one. Uh, we are recording this pod on February 21st, 2024, so I can safely say that this will definitely be up for opening day. Uh, but will any of Scott Boris's clients be able to say the same thing? Who knows to be determined. If you're listening to this right now, you'll be able to answer that question for us. Um, we have a 1921 World Series breakdown of the New York Yankees and the New York Giants and a lot of complaints and grievances uh, going on in modern baseball. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we're actually going to start with Zach today to cover some historical stuff. So, Zachy, go for it. Yes, I have failed us as a podcast. I really apologize. I uh, should have mentioned this last episode, but the creation of the Negro National Leagues actually occurred in 1920. Uh, former player and manager Rube Foster spearheaded this uh, creation, led a meeting between a lot of the team owners in Kansas City that would lead to the creation of the Negro National Leagues. And Foster was actually the owner and manager of the Chicago American Giants. What a name of an organization. And he would actually lead them to their first two Negro League championships under his stewardship. And obviously, this sparked the growth of other franchises, like the Kansas City Monarchs, St. Louis Stars. Obviously, big players like Satchel Paige, Cool Papa Bell, helped popularize the Negro Leagues. And the Negro Leagues would eventually be disbanded in 1932 due to the Great Depression, but... Again, shouldn't mention that last episode. And another one quick tidbit just wanted to put out there. In 1921, was the first year that radio was used to broadcast baseball games daily. Um, before that, people would just gather in public squares like Times Square, wait for updates delivered by telegrams, and then be translated to a manual scoreboard by an employee. Can you guys imagine just waiting for baseball news like that? You <laughs> just wow. read in a newspaper in the morning. Right, I can't imagine. I, I have um, I saw this picture. People were listening, or I don't even know what you call it, just waiting for the World Series in 1920. There were Times Square, thousands of people just waiting for a scoreboard to be updated on based on who was on base. Judge and John Soto. <laughs> it, it's just unreal. Some of that stuff you see, um, but yeah. So this will definitely get the information out there faster. Obviously, for everybody watching, or not watching, listening to the game. Definitely want to throw in, Rube Foster was inducted in the Hall of Fame in 1981 through a Veterans Committee. Uh, same class as Johnny Mize. Much deserved. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off, Zach. I just wanted to throw that in because I, I happen to know it. No, you're good. Uh, I'm done, so you can throw it to Sharon whenever. All right, sounds good. So, Josh, here's with the breakdowns. All right, boys. 1921 World Series. New York Giants, New York Yankees. Series... Featured two teams that were completely different from each other. Totally different strategies of baseball. The Yankees, of course, everybody knows, relied on power, home runs, all that. The Giants, however, were very dedicated to a dead ball era kind of game. What they called an inside game, which was walks, bunts, stolen bases, singles, infield hits. Two very different styles of games. And as Zach mentioned, this was the first World Series to be broadcast over the radio. It also included the first World Series to have brothers on opposing teams, Iris Musial and Bob Musial. And every game in the series was actually played in one stadium, the Polo Grounds, because the Yankees were leasing a stadium from the Giants for the whole season, so they just played the series in one place and just alternated who was home. And I like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, before the series even started, all the reporters, they could only talk about one thing, Babe Ruth, because he carried the Yankees that season. And this was probably one of his better seasons ever. He hit a whopping 378, 59 home runs, 44 doubles, 171 RBIs. Wow. That is insane. Unbelievable. Carried that team on his back. But a lot of people were also talking about how the Giants were just going to show the Yankees up on the base pass. And reporters would ask Ruth about this, and he simply said that he'll be too busy jogging around the bases to, you know, really care about that. <laughs> yep. um, even the Giants manager tried to get under Ruth's skin, saying that, ah, we pitched it better. And, yeah, you know, they're yeah. talking about Rogers Hornsby, who was, yeah, he was a heck of a hitter, but he, nobody's Babe Ruth, come on. 
So, series finally starts. Game one. Yankees ace Carl Mays throwing a five-hit shutout. Frankie Fish would get four out of the five hits off of him. Going wow. four for four on the day. But apparently he was the only guy that showed up for the Giants. And the Yankees scratched across three runs for a 3 nothing win. Game two. So the Giants try to pitch around Babe Ruth. They walk him three times. On the third walk, the Ruth would steal second. <laughs> That's true. On a third walk, Ruth would steal second and third. But sliding to third base, he would scrape his elbow on the dirt. And it would become infected. What? Because it's 1921. Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but the Yankees would end up winning that game 3 nothing, after Wade Hoyt would hold the Giants to just two hits. Now game three, the Yankees would jump out to an early 4 nothing lead before the Giants' bats, finally in the series, would wake up and just pounded the Yankees' pitching staff for 13 runs, including eight runs in the seventh inning. And Ruth ended up being taken out of the game in the eighth inning after scraping his elbow again. Oh, God. Sliding into a base. So the Giants would win that game 13-5, to and the Yankees announced after the game that Ruth had to have his elbow lanced and would not play the rest of the series. Oof. Because, again, it's 1921, and this is completely unheard of. <laughs> Where's Ty Cobb when you need him? Uh, yeah. Yeah, crazy. But you know what? Two days later, when the Yankees go on the field for Game 4, Babe Ruth is out there in the outfield. <laughs> Bandaged up elbow, touched the, whole, touched the thing the whole damn game. Clearly, he was bothered by it. But apparently not that much, because he had a two-hit day, including a home run. Oh, my God. Yep. But that wasn't quite enough for the Yankees, who would lose the game 4-2, to with the Giants now tying the series. Game 5 saw Wade Hoyt throw another gem, letting the Giants just one run. And Ruth would shock the world in this game by bunting. <laughs> A-Rod would be very proud of this, let me tell you. <laughs> he bunted and beated it out, and then ended up scoring first from first base wow. and scored the winning run of the game on a double. Did he slide on his elbow? He did not, but big but here, uh, he had been nursing a knee injury oh for quite God, a while, <laughs> and uh, it shocked pretty much everybody that he had run like top speed. But it didn't quite shock him that he would leave the game and never came back for the rest of the series because <laughs> apparently he messed his knee up pretty badly after that one. Can't make this up, man. Cannot make this up. The roughest good series, absolutely wild. <laughs> Uh, game six, so the Giants put on the rally caps and battled back from a 3-0 and a 5-3 deficit, winning the game 8-5 with some clutch homers by Irish Musial and Frank Snyder. And game seven, now you think game seven would be the end of it, but no, this no. was a nine-game series. Finally, finally, the last one that we're going to see of this, because this is absolutely stupid. Thank goodness. <laughs> but in game seven, Giants Phil Douglas scattered eight hits and held the Yankees to just one run, outdueling Carl Mays. Thanks to a Frank Snyder RBI double that would win the game. And in game eight, the Giants would score a run in the top of the first inning off of, you guessed it, an error. <laughs> and that's how the game stayed until the bottom of the ninth inning. The Yankees got Ruth up off the bench to pinch hit because, well, I guess he can just swing a bat and limp his way down the first base. Why not? But Limpy's, Limpy did as he grounded out, and the Giants cleaned up the rest of the inning, winning that game one to nothing on an error. And winning the series five games to three. Wow. One Unfortunate. Era. That is insane. Quite um, quite a series yeah. for the Yankees and Babe Ruth. <laughs> Big butt. He'll be back with a vengeance. All right. So we're going to change this segment up a little bit with the Hall of Fame stuff. So I have some good news and some bad news for you guys. What do you want to hear first? Uh-oh. Bad news. Yeah. The bad news is that there's no Hall of Fame umpires in this series. Oh. Okay. Really oh, what a shame. <laughs> the good what news a is that 11, 11 Hall of Famers in some capacity in this series. Not all of them are representing the thing that they're inducted in the Hall of Fame for, which I'll explain later. But we have a lot of Hall of Fame representation in here, which has been a first for a while. Um, We'll start with the losing Yankees. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to introduce – the new guys at different points some are returners some are new um and i'm gonna read you just the resume and i want to get your thoughts before i tell you where they are on my list so we're gonna play is he a hall of famer or should he be a hall of famer is probably the better way to word it uh but we'll start off with a really really easy one this should be a layup for you guys 
Um, and one you guys probably already know. We have Miller, Mighty Might Huggins. Yep. Ninth year as a manager between the Cardinals and the Yankees. This is his first World Series, but he'll end, we'll end up talking about him quite a bit. Uh, he ends up winning three titles, gets into six pennants, finished his career as a Yankee with an almost 60% win percentage with the team. But because he struggled with the Cardinals, he finished with a career win-loss record of 14-13 and 11-34, which is a 555 winning percentage. Is he a Hall of Famer? Yes. Pretty much no doubt, right? Tenth best manager of all time for me between Joe Torre and Bobby Cox. So a lot of modern representation there. We move on to a couple returners. And like I said, it's a very nickname-heavy episode. Uh, we have Frank Home Run Baker. Uh, same face in a new place. His first World Series since 1914, but his fifth overall. And since he lost this one, he's now 3-2 and two in the Fall Classic. Struggled in this series, hitting two for eight. No extra base hits of any kind. Um, as I said back when we had him seven years ago, uh, level one, ninth rated third baseman between Dick Allen and Nolan Arenado. We have George Herman, Babe Ruth. Fourth World Series, his first loss, and so now he's three and one. As Josh mentioned, despite a lot of ailments and injuries, he hit very well in this one. Um, he went five for 16 with a dinger, five RBIs, and four walks which evens out to a 976 OPS and a 313 batting average. <laughs> Nothing's changed. He's the number one right fielder of all time, in my opinion. We have our first new player. Uh, so get ready for is he a Hall of Famer. Welcome to the podcast, Wait, Schoolboy Hoyt. Um, very interesting career. He was on a lot of winning teams. Uh, he was part of the Hall of Fame class of 1969. And prior to that vote, it was on the Veterans Committee who voted him in, he never received more than 19.2% before being inducted. Ooh. So you decide. 237 and 182 for a 566 win percentage. He had a 3.59 ERA, which translates to a 112 ERA plus. 1,206 career strikeouts. Finished top 10 in MVP voting once. Remember, this was pre-Cy Young's. He led the league in whip and fielding any pitched, uh, field, sorry, fielding independent pitching one time each. Um, he did have four seasons in the top 10 of ERA in the American League. He finished second twice. Uh, what do we think? Is he a Hall of Famer? The only number that jumps out to me is the over 200 wins. Everything else is, uh, doesn't sound the best. I would say no. Josh? Uh, for that day and age? Hmm. I'd say borderline. I'd put him in, I guess. I gave him a no. I have him chilling in the basement sandwich between Burley Grimes and Herb Pennick. But we definitely see a lot of these things where, like, the high ERA pitchers who just happen to pitch a lot in October or, you know, just pitching in big games multiple times tend to have gotten a lot more love back then. Um, but that covers the Yankees. So we have our winning New York Giants, uh, John McGraw. Uh, his sixth World Series appearance, the second title. I have him fifth between Walter Alston and Tony La Russa. We have two Hall of Fame coaches that were inducted as players. One's a returner, and one is a newcomer. So our returner is Christy Mathewson. Uh, he was actually a manager for the Reds for a couple of years. Now he's back with the Giants as a coach. Uh, it's his fifth World Series appearance in either capacity, and his uh, second ring, his first time as a coach. Uh, level five, seventh pitcher of all time between Pedro Martinez and Sandy Koufax. And now we have another coach who was a former player. Welcome to the podcast, Jesse Burkett, who I didn't expect to ever be talking about on this covering World Series because he was a Hall of Fame player who played most of his career in the pre-modern era uh, between the years of 1890 and 1905. This one will not be a difficult one for you guys. Okay? Spoiler alert. Three batting titles. <laughs> and in those years, his worst batting average was 376. <laughs> He also hit 405 and 410. Career OPS plus of 140. And the year he hit 376, he led the league in OPS plus with 180. He led the league in hits three times as well, finished with 2,850 hits in 2,067 games. We all agree, right? Yeah. My only question is why haven't I heard more about him before? So he has <laughs> he played in 1890. <laughs> yeah, that. Um, Interestingly enough, he had to wait until 1946 to actually get in, presumably because no one knew what they were doing in 1936, and they had the pre-modern vote and the post-modern vote, and he was sandwiched between. Um, but until his induction, he never received more than 1.7% of the vote. 
Wow. So it's pretty self-explanatory here. I do have him in how? my pre-modern. <laughs> I don't know how that section. makes any sense. Um, it is posi- so my pre-modern list is position list, but I have him at level two, uh, fourth best hitter of the pre-modern era to me between uh, behind Dan Brothers, Cap Anson, and Ed Delahanty. I'm just gonna give that up now because a I don't think many people are gonna care about the pre-modern era, and b I don't think we're gonna be able to talk about any of those guys very much moving forward. So now onto the Hall of Fame players who did play in the World Series. We have Dave Beauty Bancroft, who's the second appearance, his first ring. Uh, he hit 152 in the series, 5 for 33 with a double and three RBIs. He's in my basement between Phil Rizzuto and Travis Jackson. That sounded really wrong. I have him in my basement, but you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, we have Frankie the Fordham Flash Frisch. Welcome to the pod. You may remember me talking about him a little bit in past Hall of Fame segments because he's a guy who got in the hall and then helped a lot of his buddies get in too. So get ready for that. Frankie was a ball player, no doubt. There shouldn't be much discussion here either. He won an MVP back when you could only win one. And prior to that, he finished second or third three different times. He had a career batting average of 310, but like many of Zach's favorite players, he had an OPS plus of 110. <laughs> 2,880 hits in 2,300 games. So he came 110 short of 3,000. He'll be on the winning side of another three World Series after this episode as well. And a career war of 71.8. Like many of my favorite players. What? <laughs> like many of my favorite players. Yes, yep. this guy. So... We all agree, Hall of Famer here. This shouldn't be a doubt here. Spoilers. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. In this World Series, he went nine for thirty, so three hundred average. He he didn't. He only had one extra base hit. It was a triple. Um, I have him at the end of level two for second baseman between Charlie Geringer and Ryan Sandberg, who's my top of level one. Moving forward to two more guys. I know it's a lot this week. Uh, we have George High Pockets Kelly. <laughs> Welcome to the pod, Mister High Pockets. High Pockets. Fun fact, that was going to be my introduction mentioning Snoop Dogg, but I decided to change it up. Uh, he was inducted in 1973, another veteran committee. Thank you so much, Frankie Frisch, for this one. Uh, fun fact, Wait Hoyt was actually on this committee who voted for him. So he was another guy who never finished above 2% prior to induction. He had a career 1,778 hits in 1,622 games. Uh, 297 batting average, but a 794 OPS and a 109 OPS plus 148 home runs, just over a thousand RBIs had three seasons of MVP votes where he finished third, sixth and 23rd. He has a career war of 25.9. Is he a hall of famer? No, no, not even close. Believe it or not, he is in the Hall of Fame. I do not have him on mine. Uh. He is at the bottom of the basement as the worst first baseman in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, I couldn't think of somebody worse. <laughs> I really couldn't. Yeah. Oh, there's there's some that contend. He, I, I think there's a couple guys at lower war than him in, but he's close to the bottom of that list. I believe some of like the big writers have said that he's like. The I mean, not even just war. There's, there's nothing about his stats that pop off the page. He had two yeah. really good seasons, and that was it. But the main resume thing was he played with Frankie Frisch. So that that's the main thing. Like he became the chair of the vets, and he voted a lot of these guys in. Rube Marquardt was part of that group. And there were several others too. Um, but moving forward to our last one, and I saved my top, in my opinion, this is the toughest call uh, for last. So I'm not going to tell you where I feel on it. Uh, welcome to the pod, Ross Youngs. He'll be a mainstay for a bit as well. He was on this team for a while. He made it to the class of 1972 as part of the Frisch group. He only played 10 seasons in the majors. And the reason why was he had a kidney disease called Bright's disease that ended his career in 1926. It actually got to the point where he couldn't play in a game on August 10th, and John McGraw insisted that he went home. Never played again. He received a blood transfusion in March of the following year and actually died that October. So after his final game, he died about a year and two months later. Uh, The disease tragically took his life on October 22nd, 1927. He was 30. Uh, He went from weighing 170 pounds at his playing weight to 100 pounds when he passed away. And in his obituary, John McGraw called him, quote, the greatest outfielder I ever saw on a ball field, which is really high, high praise. Wow, yeah. So keep that in mind when I get to the numbers. And this is where the dilemma gets hard. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here. He finished his career with 1491 hits in 12-11 games. He had 322 on his career with 130 OPS plus and an 839 OPS in his shortened career. He only received MVP votes in one season, finished fifth has a 32.7 career war. He mimes over the course of 10 seasons. Is he a Hall of Famer? Oh, boy. 
Mm. Tough one, huh? Yeah, you. It is, but at some point you're not you're not you're not thinking about what his career could be, right? You have to look at right. the numbers that are there. Yeah, that's very unfortunate. That's honestly why part of me wants to throw these guys at you, particularly the basement guys, because I want to see if my mind can change over time. Um, Josh, what do you think? I have I have a, actually an opposite opinion of Zach here on this one. I I would I would put him in the Hall of Fame, not because of what could have been, <clears throat> because of what was, in the very short career that he had, um, and the ten year career that he had is. is Honestly, a stretch because it was basically eight years, eight maybe eight and a half. Um, but the guy was a good player, and I mean, it's a tragic story. Yeah, like it's the closest thing you're. Getting I could see. I I, I would Harry. vote him in not as a you know, in today's day, I would say I would vote him in not as a writer, but as a veterans committee. Right. I would absolutely put the guy in. He had a really really good career, and it was cut short. I can get behind because that. of an unfortunate. Yeah. You know, disease. So yes, I would put him in the Hall of Fame. So you guys are split. I I went no as well. Um, I have him as a second right fielder in the basement behind Harry Hooper, who we have discussed in the past. But he's definitely a tragic story of what could have been. Um, for me personally, since I remember, I'm starting from scratch, meaning like yeah. no one was previously in the Hall of Fame. I was not basing off any comparison. And for me, if I'm putting a guy in like that who's a what could have been, I'd be starting with Thurman Munson. I don't have Thurman Munson in there either. Right. So I'm open to changing my opinion there. I will definitely be getting to that when we hit the 70s Yankees. Where we'll, I'm sure we'll debate that at length. But I think if my mind changes there, I'm a little more open to it just because of the fact that, like, the circumstances here. Um, But I, I'm kind of with you, Zach, on the what was. A lot of – I'm surprised Josh was the one who said yes, considering the low 32.9 war over 10 seasons because a lot of people – who are sabermetric guys are dead set against his election. So I was, I'm a little surprised. I'm happy that like, well, well I mean, again, again, you know, you know he, he played, he played 10 seasons, but one of those seasons was seven games. Oh, right. 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 So yeah. he right, played no. eight and a half seasons basically. Yeah. No, I definitely see it. I, I, I think there's a real clear argument either way. I don't think anyone's right or wrong on this one, but I, I think it's, Definitely the the hardest call of this bunch, and the one that we had a little disagreement on. I think I think again if you're looking if we're looking pure stats, I would it would be no. But because the guy unfortunately died, you know, because of something uh, completely out of his control, yeah, I would put him in. Yeah, we don't really have a lot of comparison for that, you know, like in modern baseball, like we have guys who got hurt. But no one who yeah, no one straight up like I mean Jose Fernandez, but he really didn't get to start his career. Right. And in his case, you know, things could have been avoided. You know? Yeah. Ross Young's, you know, nothing could have avoided that. But yeah, I definitely enjoyed the discourse on that. Well I'm I think we're I'm gonna try to keep that long term. It's just we had a ton of Hall of Famers uh on this one. But Zach, I'll turn it back over to you with the current events. Oh boy. All right. I've been requested ooh, ooh, ooh. to been requested uh, by Mike Stark here with Mr. Mike Trout and uh, his take the other day. Okay, so first, Zach, why don't you explain your original viewpoint <laughs> before I annihilated you off pod? Yeah, all right, all right. All right I'm just going to read what Trout said, and we'll get into it. Um, quote, I think the biggest thing right now is the easy way out would be me asking for a trade. There might be a time, maybe, I haven't really thought about this. When I sign that contract, I'm loyal and want to win a championship here. I think the overall picture of winning a championship or getting to the playoffs here is a bigger satisfaction than bailing and taking the easy way out, end quote. My original take was that this was personally a bad decision. He has to know that Artie Moreno and this Mets organization is never going to be able to build a team around him and he just won't win there. How like how do you not realize that now? I don't think he cares though. I feel like he should. See, here's the thing. Like he wants to stay loyal to the team that gave him a shot. He wants to stay loyal to the team that gave him 400 million dollars. Yeah. I, I don't get it. No, I can respect that. But I also, wrote an open journal entry because I had to rant about oh, it. I'm going to share it right now. Oh, no. 
I cannot stress this enough. Now, this is not going right at you, Zach, because you saw the you somewhat saw the error in your ways. But please feel free to defend your <laughs> position because I would love to continue this right now. Uh, yeah, but I cannot yeah. stress this enough. If you're against Mike Trout because he wants to stay in Anaheim, you're an idiot. Here's why. We have spent the last 10 years in a full player empowerment era in all of sports. Baseball is kind of the last to get there, but after Otani got this ridiculous contract and all these deferments, we're clearly there now. What the players want, the players are getting. Let's go through. LeBron goes to Miami. Then he goes back to Cleveland. When they conveniently get the number one pick two straight years and they can trade for Kevin Love and they have a young Kyrie Irving. Then he goes to L.A., when they have the core that could lay the foundation to get Anthony Davis. How convenient. Wonderful. Kevin Durant signs the Warriors. Then he goes to Brooklyn. Then he gets traded to Phoenix. All three teams each eventually had at least two All-Stars on them. Golden State and Brooklyn each had four. He controlled all of that. In football, we had Antonio Brown dictate where he could go. He went to Oakland. He called the GM a racial slur, got cut, then wound up in Tampa, went crazy at MetLife Stadium. I was there, I can confirm, and got cut on the spot there after Tom Brady took him into his house. We've had Aaron Rodgers hold teams hostage and literally walk into darkness while other teams are trying to figure out what they're going to do before joining the Jets and getting hurt four plays later. Hey, Aaron, maybe if you, instead of going to darkness retreat, you actually practice over the summer, you wouldn't <laughs> have had that problem. Stop blaming the MetLife turf. We had John Tavares screw the Islanders over royally when they outright said, if you want to leave us, leave us, but please have the professional courtesy to tell us now. And no, of course not. He didn't. He's player mid empowerment era. Now we have a guy in Mike Trout who says, you know, this team gave me my shot. And I never forgot that. I want to stay here and try to win here. If we do great, great. If not, I'll always be thankful. And I'm just happy that I'm here. And I'm, I want to give these guys my career. And we have the audacity and the conceit to give them the same bad opinions and the insults about taking the easy way out that we gave Kevin Durant and LeBron James. It's absurd. Well, that's a good point. He shouldn't be getting as much scrutiny as Durant. Mike Trout is a breath of fresh air. His once-in-a-generation teammate left to go to a crosstown rival who already won a title in the last few years and should have won several more, I might add. But instead, we're going at the guy who stayed. We should be going at Otani. Yeah. I just feel and I'll tell you this right now. Rhetorical question, but feel free to chime in, boys. We have, like I said, player empowerment era. Which of the four professional sports leagues do you think caters to the players the most? The NBA. Without answering, you're thinking the NBA without blinking, right? It's the NBA without blinking. Yes. It's (laughs) It's not. In the NBA, let me ask you this. If LeBron James left to go to a crosstown rival, and took, you know, let's say more money to go to a team that just won. How would the fans have reacted? How would the media have reacted? They would have crucified him. Just like they did. He didn't even go to a cross-town rival then. He didn't go to a team that previously won then. He made his own group, and they won. Kevin yeah, but the difference, yeah, but the difference between basketball and all question. the other sports is that one player in People basketball can about run it. a whole team. Mm-hmm. People actually care about basketball. That's the difference. Oh. Well, one player in basketball could run a whole team. If you trade two or three guys to one team, suddenly they become a powerhouse, a.k.a. the New York the New York Nets. The Brooklyn Nets? The Brooklyn Nets. Who got it? See, this tells yeah, you how much yeah. I know about <laughs> basketball. But even I know that they sent three of the same idiots, Durant, Irving, and uh, Harden, to that team. Because but the Nets were win. simply a landing point that yeah. had no but business, no right, no no nothing to even get those three guys to become a powerhouse until they realized that those three morons couldn't work together. But that's that's the thing, is that any anybody can decide, this is where we're going, this is what we're doing, and you have to make it happen, coach, or GM. Sorry, this is what we're doing. It doesn't quite work like that in other sports, where one guy, two guys, three guys is going to make a team. But that's not the question. The question is not which is the most individualized team sport. The question is which league is continuously covering up for players who are trying to take the easy way out. Well, obviously basketball, because they're literally out. telling yeah. guys, I want to go to this team yeah. and this team only. I don't see any other sports doing that. They're just between leaving and free agency and stuff like and that. And they're telling a coach in yeah. season, you're just trading me to this team mm-hmm. and I'm not accepting and I'm not accepting a trade anywhere else. Good point. That's literally what Harden's done multiple right. times. But in the NBA, like I said, you have the flexibility to do that more. I agree. Mm-hmm. But the consequences is the public opinion. Kevin Durant is still dealing with that. Kevin Durant is still dealing with not getting the vindication from the media. He's still dealing with not getting the vindication from the fans. And you can tell he regrets that as part of his interview with his agent. Mm -hmm. Otani 
face none of those consequences, face none of that accountability, face none of the flack from fans. Because the media is too busy. The media is too busy telling Otani, kissing his feet and telling him how he's the greatest player that's ever played the game. You think they're going to say a bad word about Shohei Otani? Are you kidding me? Come on. I wholeheartedly agree. That's why baseball is covering up for players more than the other sports. But instead, we're going to throw Mike Trout under the bus because he actually wants to stay loyal. I think it's absurd. I want to say they're covering up for Otani, but Otani cannot do wrong. Otani could go down the street and start murdering children and they'd still be kissing his feet. Come on, be real. Well, my point is that we should be going at Otani instead of attacking Trout for actually sure. being loyal. And this happened in the NBA too. We all attacked Durant and then everyone started attacking Russell Westbrook, who stayed. All right, Mike. People I attacking Mike Trout are the people that are like, you should come to my team because my team would be good with you. Yeah. That's, that, that's why they're attacking him. The one, he's just not going to have a championship. He's just never going to win. I guess like he's just going to be okay with that. Well, brother, not everybody is so is so where that has to be a championship. Yes, it ain't always championship or bust. But it is. Maybe Trout just wants to be the guy that stayed with a team his whole career, starts with a team, retires with a team, is an all time great with the team, and that's his legacy. And he can still be a Hall of Famer doing that. He will, even if he doesn't win. And I saw something this morning. Stephen A. Smith was saying that you know he doesn't believe Trout that that's his reasoning. That I I can get behind. But my problem with it is, is that, quite frankly, as a fan of the game, I could care less if he genuinely means it or not. Well, he, what do you Steven's think? been saying that he was using the weather to hide behind it. If he's staying as a one-team guy, which we have constantly said on this podcast that we like and that we miss that whole idea, it's very easy to be a one-team guy when you're Derek Jeter and you have winning franchises constantly. Yeah. This guy is going through the crap that he doesn't have to go through. I think that's respectable, even if it's just because he doesn't want to move or even if it's because his family's comfortable or even if it's because Anaheim is gorgeous and has great weather. You're, I, don't I don't really care what the intentions are. He's doing it. You're, he's just not – I guess he's just not as competitive as he was. Like, you guys, he's just going to be content with losing for the rest of his career. Like, is that okay? Yeah, because he's not healthy enough to last the season anyway. Well, I guess that's a good point too. I don't know. I just not for anything. Best surgical doctors are in California. He won't sniff the playoffs like ever, ever, ever. And I just that, don't know how like competitively. I don't know how you can be okay with that for. And I guess a million, more hundreds of millions than of dollars. Any other sport. Sure. I mean, Arizona. If I told you at the beginning of the season last year, would Arizona make the World Series? You'd think I was on crack. Of course. So that is a reason in and of itself. Teams are winning one year and dying the next. Mm-hmm. And there's been plenty of guys that, you know, towards the end of their careers have gone around trying to sniff out a championship. It doesn't always work for everybody. Just because he gets traded doesn't mean he's going to win. Look at half the guys. Why tarnish your reputation over a what if? I don't know. The pro- like base- baseball suffers because he's not in the playoffs. I mean, I know that's not his problem, but the problem is. I agree. No, with baseball that. suffers because their marketing is hot trash. They're yeah. the worst at marketing stars. Even hockey is better, and that says a lot. I'm sure, the ratings will be through the roof this playoffs when Otani will be in there, so. What ratings? No one watches baseball on TV. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, it just bugs me because it's like people are going to go at Otani. Or sorry, people aren't going to go at Otani for doing the easy way out. And people go at these guys for, quote unquote, taking the easy way out. And I, I they have the right to do what they want to do. But if we're going to go at them, we can't then go at Mike Trout too. Pick a side. Are people really well, going at Trout or did one or did one one media outlet post a story and people got people got a little mad? I'm talking about fans in general. I'm not talking yeah. about media. Fans are much. stupid. Fans are stupid. Right. <laughs> but the fans aren't going at Otani. This is a podcast for fans. We're going no, at they're too fans. busy kissing his feet. It's idiotic. Okay. Like it's the most fraudulent, hypocritical mainstream take I've heard in a decade. I've never well, heard about Mike Trout indefensible. Listen, if I'm Mike Trout, I'm the best player in baseball when, I, when I'm on the field. I can do whatever I want. I agree with that. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And if you don't like it, kick rocks. I wholeheartedly agree with that, but he's choosing to stay loyal. He's, he's choosing should, to lose. He should be happy about that. I, I get that, but he's just going to choose to lose. I, I, I don't know. At some point. Zach, you've been talking for, for every podcast about you know the Oakland thing. You feel bad for the little guy. You feel bad for I the do. little guy. But what is that? What is that an example of? Now, yeah, now the little guys keeping their superstar. The big guys. That's a good point. That's not helping the little guys. And listen, like the Angels are in LA. They're a big market, but they're not the Dodgers. It's like the Mets and the Yankees or the yeah. White Sox and the Cubs. He's not taking the easy way out. 
It's not his fault the Angels are ridiculously no, incompetent, and every fault. move they've tried to make has backfired in their faces. Yes, that's not his it, fault. At it's, all. Not, it's, it's not, not Trout's fault. And everyone is all saying, Dame Lillard, request a trade, request a trade, request a trade. Then he finally does, and everyone turned on him. Wait, it's pick a side. Either we want one team athletes who have one life their whole career, or we want guys to move around and do what's best for them to win. I don't care which one, but pick a side. Moving from the Angels' best player and biggest star to the Angels' worst player and worst contract um, probably of all time, I would assume Mr. Anthony Rendon. Uh, I honestly have no words for this guy anymore. I'm just going to, again, I, I came with the quotes today. I guess this is just the theme. I'm just going to read you something. That and I got receipts. <laughs> quotes and nicknames. Here we go. Quote, this is a job. I do this to make a living. My faith and family come first before this job. End quote. Another quote. Baseball is not my top priority right now. End quote. And this was about, I think he got interviewed like earlier this week or something. Um, and then when he was interviewed a few months ago, he said, quote, 162 games is just too damn long. We got to figure out a way to shorten this thing. We got to shorten it up. It's too long. It's too boring. End quote. Um, my guy. You have averaged 50 games a season since signing with L.A. You do not play. Uh, you just make your money and sit there and talk bad about the sport that's giving you millions of dollars. I, I, I just can't take him anymore. What do you guys think? And when he does play, he's terrible. Yeah. I, I, it's sad to say, but I think he is not the only one who feels this way. That is sad. My problem is not necessarily with the message. My problem is with the fact that he actually said it, and my problem mm -hmm. is the messenger who said it. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with your faith and your family coming before your job. I'm sure everybody can agree with that. Um, but the whole baseball is not your priority thing. You know, you get paid millions of dollars. I go to work. You guys go to work every day. When you're doing your job, you do your job. You're not going to half-ass it just because you don't like it. Um, I, I think it's very disrespectful to the sport and the organization that's paying him millions of dollars to sit there and do nothing on the bench. I disagree. It's not disrespectful to the team. It's disrespectful to the fans. Yes. That yep. you can say, like, I'm sure many people feel this way in baseball and outside of baseball in their own daily jobs, but it is just not. Are you going to walk into your boss and tell him, like, I could care less? Like, this is, this is, I don't really care about my job. It's about my faith and my family first. No, because he's going to tell you, okay, bye bye. Yeah. Yeah. It's just I don't know, man. You gotta you gotta set to just get up there and and say something like that in the front of the media, knowing fully well this is going to be broadcast all over the earth. He needs uh, to go. Just, it is a horrible look, especially from a guy who signed this big contract and he was gonna you know help Trout bring the Angels to the playoffs and has just been complete and utter crap yep. since he signed. I mean, he should be embarrassed that he's even playing. He should. I'd be embarrassed, but he just seems to have. I don't know. He has no remorse. Nope. There's just no accountability. It's disgusting. It just sounds nothing like the guy we saw in Washington. Right. Like, I, part of me wants to know if he's always felt this way, and he he's not actually going to say it. But was there ever that feeling of loving baseball when he was winning in Washington, or is it that just the injuries and the losing has kind of taken it out for him, and now he's just burnt out? Because that, that I would understand a little more, but he's, he's every time – He's putting his foot in his mouth, and there's really no defending it. Listen, if you're that burnt out and you're too busy fighting fans, <laughs> I yeah. just retire, retire. Let the team oh. have their money back. Retire. Oh, for real, for what real. are you doing? You don't. Well, you don't like the game. Money. Go retire. Go. Go do something else. Go get a job at Walmart. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. What now? You don't want to be there, but you're just gonna milk the team for money while you sit there on the bench doing nothing. Come on. Dollars. That's, that is ridiculous. You talk about it's disrespectful to the fans. Honestly, it's disrespectful to Mike Trout. We were just talking it is. about your him. teammates too. How are your teammates supposed to play with you every day if you got that attitude? I'd hate him. I'd hate him. I'm like, I'd hate him. I hope he gets booed everywhere he goes, make him even more miserable. I really hope I, the I, Angels I, release him. Wholeheartedly agree. They're I not going to release him because they have to pay him. I wish they could. But no one's trading for him. His trade value is in the toilet. Oh, no. Who would want him? Yeah. Maybe Washington was only fun for him because he was winning. I know he did really well that season, but that's like yeah, he was playing. He seemed season. very happy when he was playing, and when the night what was it the nineteen World Series? Moving on, going to talk a little bit about 
expansion in a few different ways. First, um, this is going to be a little quick. Rob Manfred has mentioned that he will be stepping down, dot, 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 in 2029. Hallelujah. Yeah, I was so excited reading it yeah. until I read that part. Yeah. But he did announce that baseball will be getting two expansion teams before his tenure's over. Um, again, Nashville is the likely, it's like pretty much set in stone. They're going to get one of the teams. Um, and the other markets for the team, the second team are Salt Lake City is the big favorite right now. The San Antonio slash Austin, Texas area and Oakland. Orlando, Florida. Sorry, what did you say? Orlando, Florida. Yeah, they have like a big that. bid. And as well for the team, uh, it's of course you know some of the Disney group is in there as well. The yeah, because I think if you revamp Wide World, the baseball stadium, Wide World of Sports, and just make it a little bit bigger. Yeah, I mean, oh, so nobody can go to that. Like they don't go to the other two Florida teams. Come on, are we are we really that stupid? Yeah, I know. Um, but then they'd have the Disney tourists, the and they wouldn't team. have to travel anywhere. They'd have a bus. I don't think the Disney there. tourists are going to see baseball. Yeah, I don't games. think Disney oh, I tourists think will. baseball. I disagree with that. I mean, I would, but I'm not every Disney. Baseball, fan yeah, but, I, like, think of yeah, but you go there every six months, exactly. so you know you need something to do, exactly. But think uh, of how many people are in Disney all the time, yeah. But they're not going to spend I mean, the extra money for actually, it's cheaper than a park ticket, that's interesting, right? Uh, I, I don't know, brother. Yeah, you know, baseball is not quite as popular money. around the world as, as yeah. you think, and Disney is very, you know, it, it draws a lot of foreign interest. I just don't, I don't know if I see people being like, oh, we're going to Disney this week. You know, we got up at 4 a.m. to go to the park today. I want to go see a baseball game at 7 o'clock tonight. Yeah. I, I just don't really see that. I get it. I just think it could work just because it's easy to access for those visitors. And it would be kind of like the Vegas appeal. Because Vegas has new audiences every week. Vegas is also adult and Disney is for kids. And also you, yeah. have a bunch of Disney, you have a bunch of dads who go to Disney who can't stand anything about it. <laughs> so you take the kid... And all of a sudden, you have that father-son bonding of the baseball game while you're on a Disney trip. I think that's really appealing. Don't the um the a the not the a, the Braves do uh, spring training down there, right? Yeah, well, they used to. I don't know if they still do. Gotcha. Uh, the one that intrigues me the most is actually the San Antonio area. I know it's like three hours from Houston, so they're afraid it's going to take some some of their market share away. But I mean, the Spurs do really well, and I think it would be a really interesting place for like a baseball team and stuff. Yeah, that could be interesting. You'd have three teams in Texas. I know. Which basketball has, and they survive. I mean, football has what, two? Uh, yeah, Dallas, Houston, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's not unprecedented to do that. That's my... I, I mean, personally, I'm sure they, they're doing all the research, but I'm like, who the heck is in Utah? I'd like Nashville a lot. I think that could be good. Yeah, Nashville's pretty cool. Those fans are going to get rowdy. Mm-hmm. Dude, I don't know what's going on in Utah, but the hockey got talked about putting a team in Utah as well. I don't like, understand I, it. I, I, I didn't realize that anything happened in Utah. <laughs> Me That's, too. Like, I thought that was just a state we flew over. <laughs> no, the, the Utah Sorry to all our Utah viewers. A lot. They got the All-Star game a few years ago, right? Yeah, I think so. But I, I think that would actually be a – Pretty attractive destination. Like their fans are dedicated, not the nicest. <laughs> dedicated. I think they'd fit very well with hockey. If you get my drift. <laughs> I, I, th- I think we should just put the baseball team back in Montreal. That would be amazing. I'd love that. It's nostalgic, but they left for a reason. I guess. But you know, they I really mean, considered. I, I'm trying um, to think of. I mean, they'd certainly draw better than uh, Orlando, Florida, in my opinion. Or Tampa. <laughs> I still think Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, that'd be interesting. Like the you call them the sluggers because the, the yeah, the Louisville sluggers wouldn't be opposed awesome. from that either. Yeah. I think that that's the pick. That's a cool one. And then you could open it up right by like you know whatever factory they have over there. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that one. I've cool. been all I've been on that for a while. I gotta go down there one day. Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, cool. Um, and another expansion news: the A's relocation just continues to be incompetent and an absolute like it's just terrible for the sport um vegas mayor carolyn goodman had a recent press conference a few weeks ago and was not too excited to have the a's move to vegas Um, again i have receipts i come with the receipts the stadium plan quote does not make sense and quote i personally think the a's have got to figure out a way to stay in oakland to make their dreams come through come true another one 
I just wow. think there's an appetite in Oakland for baseball. I run into people from Oakland all the time. They want to keep the team there, and it's just the government up there. It costs money. I love the people from Oakland, and I think they deserve to have their team. Oh, my God. What the heck? <laughs> I guess spineless politicians do have morals sometimes. Right? Uh, no, no, no. Come on. No. <laughs> nah, you're right. No, no. Well, no. First of all, that has nothing to do with it. As an Islander fan sitting there when the Islanders owner said, I'm going to give you all of this money and I'm going to build the arena by myself and build the entertainment <laughs> by myself and build the hotels by myself. And the politicians told him, no, no, we don't want that. And then spent the next four years crying because they didn't have enough jobs. This is literally the exact same thing. Like, it's the exact same thing happening yeah. where they're seeing yeah, a big project and they're does. realizing, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. Now I'm just going to say the wildest crap I can think of. Um, so the a- I don't think it has anything to do with that. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been a precedent though for a politician or a mayor to say, "Yeah, you know that professional sports team that wants to come here? Yeah, you we don't, don't want, want you. Go back. Like <laughs> you don't have to stay home, but you can't come here. Goodbye." That's not true. Eric Adams did that. <laughs> yeah, and somehow he's the mayor of New York, so I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but he legit he legitimately said he didn't like Dallas being there and was glad they left. Nice. Like word for word. Of course. Well, it's easier for the fans now anyway. UBS is great. Um, it worked out really well for us. Yeah. I don't know about people who live in the city, but it worked out really well for us. Yeah. Um, but I think the most interesting part about the Oakland saga is not, not, not even this, is that if they do decide to move the team and they do decide that they need to build a brand new stadium, that shit ain't going to be done. It's nope. going to take years to finish building, right? They got to decide like now. <laughs> <laughs> so they need to you know, they need to decide now, but they got to figure out where this team going to play. That's the they don't have a contract in the, Col- in the Oakland Coliseum. Yeah, I have notes. So the projected that um, came prepared today. The projected stadium Once. location. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> got him. <laughs> the A's ballpark. Um, again, one of the projected sites. Nine acres on the Vegas Strip, and Goodman said the congestion. Uh, she doesn't want it there, I'm assuming, because of traffic. And I, I honestly think it would probably be easier for folks to get to, but she's proposing um, a larger site north of the Strip, which is better suited for traffic and, I guess, congestion out there. Um, but the mayor doesn't have jurisdiction over the Strip. That's the local government. So they're just going to have to hash that out. And as Josh was saying, the their lease in the Coliseum ends at the end of the 2024 season. And if their new ballpark isn't supposed to be ready until 2028, they're going to have to find a place to play for three interim years. And it's looking like um, that AAA team in Vegas, they might be doing their stadium, similar to what the uh, the, the Yotes are doing over at, was that, is that ASU, Sharon? Yes, yeah, the college. Yeah, so um, imagine being a major league baseball player and have to play in minor league facilities. Well, no, I think, I think the funny part is that, uh, you know, on top of all that, <laughs> um. Manfred told Oakland that if they let the if they let the A's stay there and play at the Coliseum, even when the team is leaving, that they'll somehow magically get an expansion team, <laughs> which I find utterly utterly ridiculous. Isn't that technically collusion because the owners didn't like agree to that, or like shouldn't that make be like a I I just thing? I just don't know how you're gonna like intrigue somebody to like oh we're just gonna give you an expansion team and he's gonna and they're gonna play here like like how does that work Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't get that. Oh, he also said something idiotic the other day. I'm sorry, Zach, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. He said something really idiotic the other day too, Manfred. Um, He was asked about the Oakland situation, and he said, well, the Giants just play across the bay. I don't know why the fans are upset. Imagine being told if the Yankees move, oh, just root for the Mets. It's no big deal. Why are you crying? Like, what a guy. He's just so ignorant sometimes. Sometimes. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's ignorant all the time. Yeah. I, I just can't believe he actually said that. He's he's an idiot. Manfred is very clearly out of touch with literally everything going oh, on. Yeah. Like it's it's really bad. It really is. One thing I wanted to bring up regard like this was just interesting. The Mets uh, former manager or GM, Billy Epler, was suspended through the twenty twenty four season for faking injury reports in order to create open roster spots. Mike, I wanted to get your take on this first because it sounded very load management esque to me. Uh, MLB is very invest- Mets to me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> because we had that guy, what's his name, Jared something, Jared Fo- Jared Fogel or whatever, the mm. subway guy, um, who sent a picture of his private parts unsolicited. <laughs> 
Uh, you had Mickey Calloway who yes, did something yes. very similar. Like it's just you know Mets do Met things. So like, what exactly was the context surrounding the story? Because I heard a little bit. I know that he got suspended for the year. Yeah, um, but he so, fabricated injuries as a whole to keep them on the report. For what reason? So it's basically it's used as a way to give pitchers rest and not have them on the twenty on the twenty six man roster. So you can take them off that roster and put someone else in, I like guess swapping out bullpen arms or something like that. Um, it's honestly smart. It's like Belichickian. Yeah, he did it. I, I don't think it's and honestly the only reason why they have those injury reports in the first place is to help gamblers. So like I'm honestly like not super against it. Hmm. Well, MLB didn't like it, clearly. Uh, well, it certainly so, didn't, because oh. it messes with their gamblers. Yeah. It just felt very loaded. I remember that night when Embiid was sitting. I think it was supposed to play Jokic. It just it just reminded me of stuff like that. It just felt like Oh, that. you mean every single game he plays in Denver? Yes. Uh, every year, this is a yearly occurrence. Yeah. It's about as common as New Year's Eve. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I just think it's funny that they take a harder stance on that than they took on the Astros cheating. You're almost yeah. sure you're so right. Yeah, I didn't so think about true. that. <laughs> all right, let's do community circle. Let's all sit and talk about. <laughs> Tell me what happened. Why you guys cheated, and you know maybe you won't get punished. It's okay. 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 Ridiculous. Last thing I wanted to mention uh, was the new Fanatics jerseys, on-field jerseys. Sorry, this year. That are just uh, tanking in quality. So I didn't know this. I read a few articles. Nike actually doesn't make the jerseys. They just license the swoosh to Fanatics, which is great because I want everyone to know that when Fanatics was announced um, as the jersey provider for the NHL, I immediately bought two Adidas jerseys. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, Josh. Did you do that as well? I immediately panic bought. No, I I, I did not. I did not panic no. buy. I just uh... no. Uh, I don't know. This whole thing is pretty sad. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm actually really happy about it. Why? <laughs> because now, like all those jerseys that I bought for like fifteen dollars <laughs> that are like falling apart at the seams, they actually now look better than the official jerseys. Yes, uh, I think it's awesome. I think I got great value for them now. I'm thrilled. Yeah. I think this is awesome. I hope they stay like this. And by the time that Rob Manfred retires in 2029, they're actually going to decide to cut costs. So the players actually aren't going to wear jerseys. They're all going to be shirtless <laughs> or white t-shirts. That's yeah, what, and it's gonna be like draw their stadium, not their stadium. Their team names are gonna be drawn in magic marker. <laughs> like while they're flying as they slide, it's gonna like fade off. I think it's gonna be great. Yeah, uh, just some quick notes. Quality is clearly going down. They're taking away a lot of the piping that's normally just on jerseys. Like I'm sure you guys saw for the Yankees away jersey, they usually have white piping around the the navy New York, and it's just gone this year. I mean, it's not noticeable on something like the Yankees jerseys, but other jerseys it does look kind of bad. Uh, just less detail overall and heat press is replacing most stitching on jerseys so it's just looking again like less quality wise um who knows man this is this is terrible and i know sherm sent me an article as well about some players that needed tailored pants and that um i guess majestic or whoever was running it before fanatics used to do it and they're just refusing to tailor the pants now so the players are um forced to do more work to wear their uniforms which is just great listen hold on speaking speaking of pants i, I don't know if you saw today but uh mlb posted a photo of otani in his dodgers uniform you know like um photo shoot kind of style okay. thing i swear to god you can see the man's boxers through the pants <laughs> no ridiculous. way i mean they were literally see-through looking <laughs> <laughs> who wasn't looking it's otani why wasn't he looking <laughs> dude i mean it was it was so like it was so like really badly obvious because obviously he was wearing dark dark boxers under light That's colored really pants, bad. and it was just thousands of comments being like, "Oh my god, what the heck!" <laughs> like we really couldn't spring for pants that could cover up. I I can't with that man. It's terrible. Well, don't worry, we're gonna cut costs by not having team uniforms of any kind. <laughs> so everyone's gonna play in their underwear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's gonna be like the Black Sox all over again, where they just don't pay for them to get clean. Yeah. <laughs> But dude, I mean, looking at some of like the names, like oh, I mean, it looks like a little, a little, a little kid stitched them on. And I mean, yeah. <laughs> the way some of the names are like wrapping around the numbers. Imagine if Jared Settlemachia still played. Oh my god, his <laughs> name wouldn't even fit. <laughs> it would go down to his butt. It would just go all the way down. I just, oh my god, it looks terrible. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you know, with the players like legitimately like complaining over it, 
And, you know, some guys have reserved their right to opinions like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens when the hot summer months because they're supposed to be lighter and, and looser and, you know, moisture wicking or whatever they say. Mm-hmm. They're going to fall but apart yeah, it's, in the seams in August with sweat. All right, the other thing is that is that article is that article that you sent uh, today where somebody sent a picture that one MLB player literally posted of his own jersey <laughs> and said <laughs> and sent it to Fanatics and was like, why does it look so bad? And the Fanatics helpline was like, oh yeah, that does look bad. Sorry, we'll get that fixed. It's like, oh my god, that is so bad. That, by the way, so bad. What'd you say, Mike? They since deleted that, by the way. Oh, well. Oh, oh. wait, you telling me that's not true? <laughs> no, it happened, but they deleted it after because they realized their mistake. Their own it's player. It's so bad. It's ridiculous. That's all I had. Any Anything else we wanted to uh, to cover? We hit an hour. Not bad. Uh, yeah, I wanted to say uh, Giancarlo Stanton showed up to spring training looking like a new man. Looks like me. And... Uh, I am proud and impressed. Apparently, Cashman's words got through to him that he needs to look like a baseball player, not a fat load of crap. Did you just give lo- uh, love to Brian Cashman right now? Well, I wouldn't say I gave love to him. But, wow. You know, he, 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 apparently, something he said struck a, you know, I, struck a I nerve. I agree, but wow. It might not have anything to do with Cashman, but, yeah. you know, Stan looks like, he looks like a new man. I, I mean... It's impressive the changes that he's made, and I hope, you know, with his injury history, that this makes a difference. I hope it's not like CC when he lost all the weight and he just got worse. Yeah, CC was better fat. It's <laughs> possible, but Sabathia was also a pitcher that never learned how to pitch. He was a thrower, and he was a good thrower because he had a lot of junk in the trunk to get behind him. <laughs> When all that junk was gone, there wasn't much behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Chicken cutlets about you. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that's gonna be quite the same for Stanton, especially considering he's not gonna really be playing a field that much. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He's just gonna swing a bat, and that's all. You know, hip torque. So if he can keep that hip torque going without pulling a hammy every six days, he'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> Side note: Did we see Juan Soto's first press conference? That man is jacked. I did not realize how muscular he was. Yep, I can't wait to watch him on the Mets in two years. <laughs> well, that that is, of course, if he actually signs a contract. You know, you know how Boris works. He, he might not sign a new one for three more years. Yeah. Well, who knows if Blake Snell will even play this year? Um. <laughs> He's a Dodger. Yeah. Breaking news. Right. Right. <laughs> well, dude, the thing with the thing that gets me about that is that, uh, especially with pitchers like Snell and Montgomery, is like you know these guys are you know they're getting into spring training, pitchers and catchers, and, and all that. You know. These guys are ramping up their activities, so they're ready for opening day. They're not going to be ready for opening day now. Yeah. And every day that they're, you know, later and not getting signed, not not starting their routines, is another day they're not going to be able to play. Yep. So they're just going to be late to the season, and no one simply but themselves and Boris. Player, player empowerment. Yeah, it's not working out this year for them. Is it really even player empowerment at this point? No, I think it's just Boris being an idiot. I mean, at what point is a player going to – say to Boris, like, I just... I want to play. Listen, the season's got to go. If I'm getting a contract and it's reasonable, I, I want to play. Right. I'm surprised they keep him around. I mean, reportedly, the Yankees were the only team that offered him anything, Snell, at least. So, like, I... At what point are you going to read the writing on the wall and say, no one, no one's going to offer me $30 million plus a year because, I, personally, I don't think he deserves that. I don't know. Boris must have a way of words if he's telling these guys not to sign because he's looking to get a bigger commission. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. There really isn't much more to say other than no, that. That's unreal. Another thing I wanted to add was uh, congratulations, Eric Hosmer, on a, on a nice career. Oh, yeah. And his retirement. Yeah, I couldn't do a plaque in time, so I had ChatGPT do it for me. Oh, my oh, God. Please. Oh, please. I can't wait. <laughs> that should be pretty good. I'll find it. A true cornerstone player, Hosmer's career spanned X seasons, during which he amassed Y hits, Z home runs, <laughs> and A RBIs. His remarkable on-base percentage of B and stellar, and stellar fielding prowess, earning C Gold Glove awards, solidified his reputation as one of the game's premier first basemen. Hosmer's leadership, exemplified by D All-Star selections and an E World Series championship, inspires future generations of athletes. His impact on the diamond transcends statistics forever etching his name in baseball lore. Welcome to the Hall of Fame, Eric Hosmer. 
Amazing. All right, because you got one for Hosmer, I got to ask. Because this one's actually more important. Is Corey Kluber also retired? Uh-huh. Did oh, he get one? I'll do it right now. All right. He, GPT. he, he deserves one more than Hosmer in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Make a 100-word Hall of Fame plaque statement for Corey Kluber using specific statistics. Here we go. Over blank seasons, Kluber faces <laughs> mastery on the mound, tallying Y strikeouts and Z wins. His impeccable command led to A All-Star selections and two Cy Young awards, emblematic of his dominance as a pitcher. Kluber's postseason brilliance, including C postseason victories, propelled his teams to success. Renowned for his consistency and resilience, Kluber's legacy extends far beyond the numbers, inspiring admiration among fans and peers alike. His indelible impact on the game secures his rightful position among baseball's immortals. Congratulations, Corey Kluber. Welcome to the Hall of Championship of Amazing. Amazing. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I didn't mention anything about the Cy Youngs, but, you know, it is what it is. I just filled in the two. It was a letter. Any big signings you want to talk about? I mean, I got Liam Hendricks to Boston. It's really the only only notable one. It makes me sad. I still root for him. It's a shame. It's a shame he's only going to have about 12 save opportunities this year. (laughs) I still root for him. I mean, I mean, I'd still root for him, just not when he's playing the Yankees. And well, I don't know. I like the guy, but I kind of have to hope he blows some saves because you know Boston. Yeah. What if I hope it's on error so he doesn't get credited with a blown save? Oh, okay. Sure. We can definitely root for that. And Boston's probably gonna commit a lot of errors. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that wraps up our 1921 installment of Championship or a Bust. MVP of this podcast, definitely Zach, came very, very well prepared. Well done, sir. Thank you. Congratulations. I hate you. For once, and we will see you next time. See you later. Peace.